everyone. We are going to be we're kicking off a new uh, series, <clears throat> and uh, it's going to be a you know every time when we talk about family, uh, something happened for every time that I, you know I talk about family, something happened. And then I think Satan just don't want to do that. He didn't want me to talk about the family. And plus here today, you know, I, I trust that God will ignite your souls and that you'll be excited. You open your heart because I know, I, I know some of you came in the church today. You're sad. Uh, be, be <laughs> you know, the right person didn't win last night. And, uh, and it really takes some work for me up here to try to generate excitement and to open your heart and then trust that, uh, that, that you will stay with me. And uh, it's just a fight. Uh, I, I, I know it means a lot to some here. You're not the only one. There's a whole bunch of us who are disappointed too. So anyways... Uh, we're going to be kicking off a focus on the family. And I'm not going to be talking about, you know, the focus on the family program. And I'm not talking about that. I'm not here to endorse, although I appreciate the focus on the family ministry. But you know, when you read the scripture, the scripture is actually all about God wanting to have a family of his own. And, and you, you go right from the Genesis, right from the beginning of time to the end. It's full of verses, a reminder to us of God wanting a family for his own and building a family for his own. And as we started, as we start this series together here today, and I know after we talk, finish the talk here today, some of you probably would have more questions than, than you had when you first come into the church, the chapel I mean, here this morning. But what I want to ask you to do is that I want you to look at this introductory talk here this morning, not by looking at it as a, a standalone talk. Then you will not get it. You've got to look at it as a series. So we're going to look at the three-part series here. And like I said, there might be more questions that will come into your mind. But today, hopefully, that will do a good job to, to try to build the case and the context in which this is going to be a pretty practical one. And I want you to pray for the next three weeks as we talked about that. And I mentioned about the, the Bible that is so full of focus on the family. And, and right from the beginning as he created the human beings, God created man and woman. He did it for one reason, because he wanted the family for his own. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, God to for whom and through whom everything was made, and including you and me, that God who created you and me, and it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them, who are they? All his children into salvation. And that is the key for us to do, because the God who created every person here, he created you and me for one reason. He wanted his own family, not only to be saved, as Hebrews tells us, but to share in his glory. The Bible is about God building and shaping his family. In fact, if you have to subtitle the Bible, you can subtitle it, Focus on the Family. And I want to talk today about God's standard for the family. And before we do that, let me ask the Lord to bless our time together. Our Father, thank you for your love. And as we begin this series on the family, we are absolutely overwhelmed as parents at the task and the responsibility of raising children in the kingdom of God. And as we listen to your plan for raising our family, I pray for each one of us here as parents that we would recommit ourselves to you again. For those of us, Lord, who are blessed enough to have a legacy of faith, I want to pray that you'll continue 
for that to be strong and to even increase generation to generation. Our Father, for those who are in the first generation or those who are wondering if it's time for them to start the legacy of faith, I pray that you will move in them as well. Father, I, we are so aware of our need of you. And so I invite you into this place again here as we have enjoyed the presence of God through the fellowship and worship time. And today we surrender ourselves again to you, Father, and we give our children to you. We give our children to you. We give our families to you. I pray for the different ministries in this church, Lord. I pray that you would continue to anoint and breathe life into them, our Father. May we fully utilize those resources and opportunities that our families may be strong and they may be built up and that we will see a generation of young people who love you, Father, with all of their hearts, souls, and mind and all of their strength, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to be talking about focus on the family. Now, I want to see, show you a picture uh, on the screen here. That's a picture of my family. You know, last week, somebody came to our door and knocked at the door and... Uh, she was coming in to raise funds for MS, and my wife went to the door, and then she noticed the picture on the wall. And she made some nice comments about the family. That's my oldest in the middle, the second, and then the third. And that white person in there is my wife. Poor Sharon. Anyway, I love my family. And, and when the lady came over and said, that's a nice family, that's a nice portrait of your family. And you know, I put that picture there for a purpose. That picture may look like, for me, it's perfect. You know, it's a beautiful portrait of my family. But I mean to tell you that that is not my real family. You see, my real family is the one that lives in our home day in and day out. That's my real family. And too often we get caught up in what we want for our families, what we expect from our families, and we never get a second thought to, really, what, God, what do you want for our family? And we need to look at it. Don't get me wrong. Every parent here that's listening to me have great expectation for their family. We all want that picture perfect family. When you got married or you are single and hope to get married one day, you got that same picture perfect image in your mind. And the problem is, we all know the hard truth about our families, our real family, and it is not that snapshot on the wall. Even though that is what God wants and desire of all of us to have a picture-perfect family as possible. You know, I have lived over six decades on this earth. I looked and I wonder, 
man, what have happened to our family, right? Over the 60 years of life God has granted to me, many of us have watched the most shocking aspects about the family in the history of this nation. The disintegration of the families, the violence, the, the rate of divorce. And some of, well, of you are listening to me here this morning that you are still living with the sense of pain and loneliness and abandonment because of some family issues. You know, you, 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 heard, you heard the saying that said that we all get to pick our friends, right? But none of us get to pick the family of origin that we come from. And that is what makes this talk about the family relationship so challenging. Because our family experiences are so diverse. If I had the opportunity to bring the mic and each one of us have a different experiences in our family. Some of you loved, you know, just growing up years in your home. You just loved that. But some of you couldn't wait to move out of the home. To establish whatever. And some of us couldn't wait. Some of us grew up in blended family situations. Some of us in single parenting. Some of us in all of those kind of family experiences. And in fact, just the mention of the word father, just the mention of the word mother, of brother or sister, you know that there's some emotions that is all associated with it. So it really is a challenge to talk about the family because of this diversity in terms of our experiences. And to add to the challenges, you know, I, I attended uh, a family reunion in Australia, my family, from New Zealand to the Cooks, and, and they all met in, in Australia. Over 300 of them showed up. And then they came to Melbourne, Australia, and we sat in one, and I look at it, there were some family dynamics there. I thought to myself, man, if I can only get the opportunity to get up there and tell them this is what we need to do to deal with this family, it will be done. And that's part of the problem. We add to that because everyone in the family thinks that they have the answer to the problem in the home. If only dad can do this, if only mom listened to me, if all, you know, everything will be okay. And thus, increased attention in the home. I have two people that I've asked them to, to come and share a little bit of their childhood and family memories. And my hope is that through these stories that they will offer some help, hopefully, to the families from now on, on how to better live, especially in terms of the expectation of the New Testament, in terms of its focus on the family. And I want you, please, to welcome Carlos Strang and John Rokachi. Hi, I am the wife of a kind, gentle man, and I am the mother of four children. I have based my testimony upon the Proverbs 31 woman. I don't have time to read the whole passage, so I'm just going to summarize. It is a model of the ideal woman. She is many things. She is strong, she's generous, she's fearless, she's wise, and so much more. But at one time in my life, she was also very intimidating to me. She represented everything I wanted to be, but felt I wasn't. 
Being perceived as a good mom and having it all together were idols in my life. And the ironic thing I discovered about having an idol in my life is that they prevented me from being who I wanted to be. They prevented me from being the Proverbs 31 woman. At one time in our house, our home was full of chaos. I thought, as a Christian woman, my house should run smoothly. My children should be well behaved. I had an ideal of my home, what it should look like, and I strived to make my home look like that. But when my reality did not match my ideal, it left me feeling unworthy. See, I had a rebellious child in my house. Now, a rebellious child just does not add to the appearance of a good mom and having it all together. After all, if I'm doing it right, how could I have a rebellious child? So I kept trying harder. I kept trying to make sure I was disciplining him right. I kept trying to fix him. I was so focused on his behavior that I missed what was really going on in his life and why he was doing the things he was doing. I wrapped up my son's, my identity in my son's behavior. I wrongly thought his behavior was a reflection of me. This is a form of codependency, and codependency is very damaging, and it was unfair to my son. Galatians 5.6 tells us, for each one of us should carry our own load. I needed to carry mine, and my son needed to learn to carry his. His behavior does not define who I am, and my identity is not his responsibility to be burdened with. Seeing how I thought my son's behavior was my problem, I tried to fix it. Now, I'm not advocating not to discipline our children. That is our job as parents, and the Bible is very clear as parents that this is our responsibility. But we are to teach and to guide them. They have the free will to choose, and they are ultimately accountable to God. When my son didn't respond to my instruction or discipline, as I thought he should, it would lead to conflict. Then I would lose my cool. I'd later open my Bible and I would read things like, only a fool gives full vent to their anger. Great, I can add fool to my list of failures, which added to my feelings of blowing it as a mother, and it added to my sense of unworthiness. I would resolve to not lose my cool and my anger, but my frustration would get the best of me. I thought that I glorified God by making everything perfect, but that wasn't my job. I was trying to do something that was impossible for me to do, which resulted in my frustration. God gives each of us free will. He does not try to control us or make us do anything. We can use this freedom foolishly to gratify our own sinful natures, or we can use this freedom wisely to glorify God. Proverbs 20.11 says, Even small children are known by their actions. When I learned to let him be responsible for his actions, and I learned to let him face the natural consequences of his actions, I found freedom. And in this freedom, Christ is able to work in my life. See, the Christian walk isn't about being perfect. It's, not about God. it's about God's grace. It's not about works. It's about what he's done for us 
and what he can do through us. The Christian walk is about learning who God is and believing him and obeying him. The Proverbs 31 woman is no longer intimidating to me. Rather, I look forward to what God can do in my life, and I look forward to the adventure that he has for me. Good morning, Mosaic. Believe it or not, my name is not whatever Pastor Todd just called me. It's actually John Rakochi, so I'll just clear that up. <laughs> Try oh, to I'm... say my name. I won't. So I'm just going to share um, a small piece of my story. I'm just going to talk a little bit, a bit about my dad. So to describe my dad growing up, he was, when I was a little kid, I'm just going to... Fr- just describe my perception of my dad from my little 10-year-old point of view. Dad was, he played hockey, he played baseball, he played golf, curling, you name it. He was a sports guy. Dad grew up in a family with two brothers and a sister. It was, um, it was a male-dominated family. Dad watched hockey on TV. Um, hockey, I mean, you name it, he watched any sport on TV. Now I'll describe me. If you think I'm scrawny today, you should have seen me back then. I was a scrawny little runt who tried to play hockey, mainly because I knew Dad loved hockey. So I played hockey for about five years, and then in Pee Wee back in the day, that's when they started checking, and I said, no thanks. I already got pushed around enough. I don't need to deal with that. So when I look back at my child and I think about the day that I told my dad I don't want to play hockey anymore, that was... uh, tough day for me because I really felt like I was letting my dad down. And a big struggle for me, um, why I'm painting this picture, is that I, in, my, in my mind, I thought dad had this, this idea of what he wanted for a son. And I didn't feel like I was it. I have three sisters, so my dad gets four kids, only one of them's a boy, he got this. So my thinking was, this isn't what dad wanted. So growing up, I, I, I felt like I was letting him down. I felt like um, I don't know how to connect with him. So also for me, so my interests were uh, 4-H and horses and school. I was really good at school. Our interests were just opposite. We both didn't know how to connect with each other. But with my 10-year-old undeveloped, not fully developed brain, what I thought is there's something wrong with me. What am I doing wrong? Why can't I connect with my dad? What, what do I need to do different? I'm the problem, and mainly, I'm a disappointment. And I'll just, I just want to reiterate that that was me as a 10-year-old thinking that way, with my perceived expectations, what I thought that my dad expected. So for me, it was, how do I connect with my dad? How do I, I want a relationship. It was something I longed for desperately. I want to connect with him. I don't know how to do this. So what that left me feeling was angry. I had a lot of anger as a kid. But really underneath all that anger is just sadness, and I just want to connect. I don't know how to do that. So I think it was in my early 20s when I finally, when God finally showed me. He showed me this picture of my dad's dad. And God made it really clear to me that my dad couldn't give something to me that he didn't get. He can't give me something he didn't get. My dad was raised by a sports-ish kind of guy, don't talk about deep stuff, just keep it kind of on a surface level, that's not me. 
I want to talk deep. I like that stuff. So when, it, when God revealed that to me, it just it, it changed my entire perception and view of my dad. It changed my relationship in such a profound way. And it opened my eyes to just see him and love him for the man that he was and all the, his wonderful qualities. And he had a ton, and he does have a ton. And I also learned that as an adult, it's my responsibility to find ways to connect with my dad. Growing up, I always thought, I'm the kid, he's the dad, it's his job, he's got to figure this out. As an adult, I have to take some responsibility here and find ways to connect with my dad. The last thing is, the more I got to know Jesus, and the more I let him change me, the more that changed my relationship with my dad. I was looking for my dad to affirm me. I was looking for my dad to tell me I was okay, for my dad to tell me I was good enough. And he struggled to do that. And once I learned to do that, or to get that need met from Jesus, the, the one true source, life and relationship with my dad just um, had a much more healthy perspective. So, thanks. And so we see uh, between Carter and John and their experiences, of, you know, you, you notice in the, their tensions there. And you notice the, the way that they manage those tensions because what they see, what they expect, what their father expects, and what they experience at a time that there's a gap between. And, and so you see how that, and, and that's, see, John made, made, made the point here. You know, sometimes for us, what we have done is because we, the reason why we are so unhappy is because we try to squeeze something either out of your spouse, out of your wife, out of your husband, out of your son, out of your child. You try to squeeze something out of them there's, that there is no way you can get it out of them. And, but you squeeze it some more so that it can happen. And conflict becomes a, a result. And it's very... And it changed the dynamics of the family. And there are probably some that are still doing that. You, you know that you can't get it out of your child. And, but you squeeze it out of them. But it's all really about you. And I'm going to look because of, of our time. I'm going to quickly, let me just turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22. And, and to, 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 to chapter 6, verse 1 and to 4. This is actually a summary. This is an overview of the scripture, of the summary of what God... Well, let me just read it to you. And then maybe make a, a, some comments and then we'll move on. Wives. By the way, husbands, this is not... <laughs> This is not the verse for you to talk about the, the wives. What did it say there? What was the first word? No, no, I, I'm asking the husbands. What's the first word, husbands? Wives. So it's not talking to you. You wait for your turn. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, husbands. Love your wives. This is Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her children. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with, with a promise that it may go with, well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Yeah, but pastor, have you seen my child? He exasperated me, whatever that word means. 
He irritates me. But this is, that's basically it. That is a summary of the standard that God wants for his family. And when you look at that standard, when you look at what the overview of the family is, and you're saying to yourself, well, Pastor, that is so idealistic, that is old-fashioned, that is something that my grandmother, my grandfather has endorsed. Call me old-fashioned. But that is the ideal. That is the deal. And what happened today is what happened is we begin to change that so that it will manage our own current situation will be manageable. And so we change the standard of God. In fact, when you look at today, you look at today, where is the family? The family is being redefined. Because what happened is we go out and change that. We change the standard that God has given us. My challenge to you, are you willing? Are you willing to stand together with me and be willing to accept and embrace the standard of God, even though we may not be able to attain that? You know, a lot of people look at this and say, well, I cannot accomplish that. I cannot get to that point. That was okay with Jesus. That is okay with God. And because we don't understand, and that is the reason the conflict, you know, James said, why? What's the reason for the conflict in your home? It's because we're trying to squeeze something out of your child that only God can provide. You're squeezing something out of your spouse that only God can provide. And we need to look at what God is saying to the people, what God is saying to the family, when he said, this is it, folks. But that over there creates a tension, right? Because you're saying, Pastor, okay, wives submit to husband. You don't live with my husband. I do. Sometimes I wonder whether he is worth submitting to. Right? And we're going to talk, this is going to be very practical. Next week we're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 5 and begin back to verse 21. And that is the overarching principle. But, but look at this here. Husbands, love your wives. But perhaps have you seen my wife lately? And all of these other things that we're saying. But hey, listen, you are not submitting. Let's look at the husband because I'm husband. You are not loving your wife because she's sometimes worthy of your love. No, you're loving your wife even in the place that you don't feel like loving her, that you love her out of reverence for Jesus Christ. That's why you love her. And when we understand God's perspective, we begin to see. And in fact, because I'm really jumping out of you know, I want, I want to go back to the, go to the next phrase, scripture. This is a good example, and then we close. This is a good example, actually, of, of, of God's standard, which is Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. 
And my reality, my situation today, they, they don't match that there is a gap, therefore it creates tension. But the tension is a choice that we're going to make. Are you willing to adopt and embrace the standard that God has given, even though it's old-fashioned? Even though it's idealistic, even though I cannot attain to it, but are you willing to embrace it? But here's a good example. Let me give... Some Pharisees came to him to test him. You know something about them? They're not, they, they're not here to... They're not there to see Jesus or to come learn from Jesus. They're there to test Jesus. They're always like that. They're coming in a way, you know, anything that they, that they can put their hand on to try to confuse, to try to get people to, to say, no, if he's a, he's God, but look at his teaching. It's not lining up with the prophets. So he was doing this. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Of course, when they say, is it lawful, that they were referring to whom? To what? To the law of Moses, right? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? But let me tell you about a little bit about that. Here's the thing about because in that culture, women are actually one level higher than the animals. And here's what happened: that they have this no fault divorce phrase. A man can divorce his wife. When he come home and, you know, he didn't like the cooking. Yeah. He didn't like her. That, and then he would come in and said, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and it's done. That's the deal. Now, man, that, I'm not saying that you go home and do that, okay? You know, go, go to the restaurant. But for a woman, that is not the case. A woman is stuck. But not with a man. And that is what they're saying. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Listen what Jesus said. Haven't you read? And they're saying, Jesus, no, no, I'm not talking about haven't you read. I'm talking about our situation today. Man, there's people here that are unhappy in their situation, in their, in their, in their relationship. Haven't you heard? But is it lawful for a man? Look, look what Jesus said. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Basically what he's saying, so, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Basically what he's saying, he, hey, here's the standard. If you go back to the beginning, this is God's ideal. This is God's standard. The two shall become one. What you're trying to do is, because you do not understand what marriage is all about, what you're trying to do is you're separating what God has brought together. They see the standard of God. They see this situation. A lot of people rather adjust and redefine the standard so that they can feel comfortable with the situation that they're in. And look at the next 
Why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now listen to this. I know that it's hard. I, let me tell you something. And some of you have gone through and still live through in the pain of divorce. And you are still carrying a sense of abandonment or maybe a sense of identity. Who am I? Let, let me tell you. Every time that Jesus points you to a standard, to his ideal of what the Lord has said, that this is. Do you remember, you know, every time in the New Testament, he said the kingdom of God is like what, right? The kingdom, and then he points people to ideal. The higher God raised the standard and the ideal, the deeper the availability of his grace become to you. Understand that. Every time he raised the standard, but he never, he's never refused or condemned anybody in terms of this family relationship. So I'm, I'm here to tell you, and if you are in that case, remember Ephesians chapter 3 said, I need you to understand, Paul said, my prayer that you will understand how wide, how high, how deep is the love of God for you. So everybody is divorced. So what are you going to do, Jesus, with the people who are divorced? Jesus come along and said, I'm not going to do anything to them. I'm going to do something for them. What are you going to do for them? I'm going to give my life for them. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. It was not this way from the beginning. Do you know? And I know for some of you who have heard this, you say, well, Pastor, I'm stuck here. I feel condemned. Hear me out. The more you feel condemned, the more God's love will come on you. Because he did not come to do something to you. He came to do something for you. He came to say, I'm going to give my life for you. And this morning, we're going to look at, as we summarize, and as I close our time together. I trust that you will prepare yourself as we go through the challenge that I have given you here this morning. That when Jesus points them back to the place, do not redefine the standard of God. You know, we got so caught up with the things of today. Sometimes we don't even think about it. We become accustomed to the culture that we live in. We no longer ask those questions. There's so many statistics about the family. You know, over the last 60 years in my life, God has granted me to see what have happened in the family. But that was not the ideal. Yes, I understand, Jesus said, I understand the pain of divorce. I understand things didn't work out. I understand all of these things. I understand that. But it's not going to change the standard that I have provided. Because if you change the standard... You've missed something very significant in the process. And I close. Are you willing to follow God's standard for your family?
Or would you redefine the term so that you can feel good about where you are? Secondly, are you willing to point your children towards a destination that, we, that you never reach? Or would you redefine what is normal? In my years of pastoring, I know that parents want the best for their children. I know that. You know, people are coming, you know, over the years, I have never seen any parents who are separated or divorced who came in, you know what, I would like to see my children go through the same experience that I went to. Never. Just recently, I, I talked, I went for coffee with a, a, a young father who, who had custody of the kids. And then I asked him, so what are you going to do this weekend? Well, I'm going to go and take my kids out for supper, and then we're going to go to, a, to the park, and then one of my sons is going to have a hockey. We're going to go spend time with them. And he said to me these words, would you help me pray for my children? I have never, and that is the truth. And if you are a single parent here, it's the same thing. That you want the best for your children. You do not want the children to go through an experience that you, that you have gone through. But you want the best for your child. So why do you not embrace then what the standard of God has provided. And continue to trust the Lord to give you the strength and the power to do what he needs to do. And I want to close with Proverbs. Well known verse. Trust in the Lord ladies and gentlemen. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways you acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you. Especially in the introductory part of this message. And maybe there's some people who are still wondering, okay, where do I fit in? Would you reign upon them, your grace, O oh God? And as we look at next week to become more practical of what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. I pray that you open up the doors of our hearts, O oh God, and allow us to be willing to embrace what you have set for us. Just because the culture is doing things today that may not fit and that we sometimes fall into that, help us, Lord, to stand true, to be embracing, to be willing to say that your standard is going to be that, um, that GPS in my, in my heart. That will be the, the, guide, the guiding point, the direction that I want to keep up front for me. I may not be able to attain it. There might be a tension between that and my life that I'm living today. But because you're comfortable with that tension, and I'm comfortable with that too, so I pray for your wisdom to help us manage those tensions in a way that will bring honor and glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.